Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with author, speaker, and coach, Crystal Waltman. Thanks for coming on the show, Crystal. Hi, Jonathan. How are you today? Thanks for having me. Hey, yeah. Thanks for coming on, and I'm doing great. And I want to jump right in here. Uh, I see I, I commented on your awesome background. That's like super professional. I love it. And I certainly want to ask you about your book, quitting to win. But first, I'd really like to hear a little bit about your story. So what did life look like for you before sobriety? And where would you say your relationship with addiction actually started for you? You know, I think it started at a very young age, it took a couple different, you know, faces of it of being in my addiction. I, I had my first blackout drunk when I was 14 years old. And I was playing I was playing on varsity. So I was 14, but I was up with the 18 year olds and we, we were winning. And then we had a celebration and I just had social anxiety built in around that, you know, being with the older girls and then taking that first drink, zoom, feeling that through your body, you know, just took everything away. And I was a high achiever and, you know, but couldn't wait to get out of my mind again, right? In the socialness, in the what turned out to be social anxiety. And, you know, I was just self-medicating with it. Then I went on to college with the same kind of tendencies of playing hard, studying hard, winning and blacking out, you know? So that's what it looked like for, for my college days, just with a lot of blank spaces. And then forward to becoming an adult, um, you know, Uber being like an enabler, right? So if I'm not breaking the law, can, you know, does that allow you to drink more? Like, right. you know, and I'm, I live in the city, so it was nothing to get a black car, you know, from one of the restaurants or clubs that, that you're in, or, you know, before Uber was around, there was still like a way around that. If you, you know, not breaking the law and then fast forward to becoming a mother, I took some time off. Like a, over two years or so to have my daughter and then breastfeed. And then what does it look like when I came back from that? It was just a disaster. I mean, that's really where the disaster happened. I think it was because there was more responsibility at that time. So the unmanageability became more apparent, right? When I was without responsibility of a child, it was just sleep it off. No big deal. There's nobody looking at you. You know, it's not like you're me or looking back at you. Yeah. So having a child and being a drunk mom just you know isn't a good look I saw some of my friends lose lose their license and you know not be able to drive their kids for a year and that was my surrender so I went through a couple years of trying to manage my drinking in the mommy wine culture Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know being with kids and drinking and it just did not work for me I was just filled with shame and guilt 
drinking and driving, um, blank spaces. And that's really what the last phase of my addiction looked like um, as far as my unmanageability as far as my unmanageability went. And I had this life that I wanted so bad. And so why was I kept doing things that weren't serving me? Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So what was the the actual turning point for you? I mean, it sounds like there was this progression, which I, I think most of us know a little bit about, right? Where started out just having fun or just for social anxiety, right? And then it, it kind of progresses into... Uh, I think for a lot of us, like something we, you know, more of an escape, more of something we actually need just to function. Um, so what was the turning point? Like, where did you actually say like, okay, yeah, I, I need to make a change. Yeah. So I went out one night and I was like, I'm not going to drink. And I had my daughter with me. I ended up, you know, saying no, thank you. The first couple of times to the server. And then that third time you just say yes. And you're like, yes, again, you know, and then drinking and driving. So that would really became my bottom and I got us home safe. Thank God. And I, you know, I didn't kill anybody or hurt anybody, but it was, it's only the, the ifs, right. Or the not yet, right, you know, right. because I, I was on that path of destruction. And so my surrender was just, was that bad. You know, if I couldn't be a mom, then really what was my purpose? Mm. You know, that was my unmanageability. Yeah. of not being able to function, you know, okay. and being in bed and headaches and me telling myself those lies that I'm more fun if I'm drinking because you'll play with the kids or get down on the floor. You know, you seem more fun, like, because it takes the edge off of like the cartoons and, you know, just that, oh, I deserve a break. I got through the day. It's three o'clock. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and then like you can't drive after that, you know, you're, you're handicapped. I was pretty much handicapped because my drinking had locked me into my house, if you will, because I knew I couldn't drive and then I'm Ubering everywhere. It was just so that my imaginability was, was drinking and driving and not being able to, you know, be a parent and be yeah. present as a parent. Right. Right. And, and so what were these first steps? I, I guess, you know, what was the defining moment where it's like, I've got to do something. And what are those first steps into making a change actually look like? Did, did you go to treatment? Was it just like, did you do 12 step? Did you, what, what did that actually look like for you? So on, in my, on my neighborhood, I knew everybody that drank cause I would push a stroller around and, you know, look for a happy hour person to drink with. And yeah. I, there was one lady on my street who I looked up to and she lived by herself. She had been divorced three times. She was like an art gallery owner, very well put together person. And mm -hmm. she was always very calm and just like had that secret. Right. Mm -hmm. And I knew she didn't drink because every time she would give me an iced tea. Right. And mm -hmm. so I finally, I was outdoors in the front yard, pushing my daughter in a swing. And she came over to check on me and say, you know, where's your husband? Where's he traveling? He was gone a lot. And how are you guys? And I just said, how did you stop drinking? And why don't you drink? Oh, you know, and she yeah. said, come with me on Sunday, come to my house on Sunday at five. And I'll tell you all about it. So I show up to her house. I think we're going out to dinner. And we get in the car, we start driving to this great part of town where all the restaurants are on the side of the mountain, you know, and it's just beautiful. And then, you know, past the restaurants into this big church around the church to the back. And, you know, we show up at the meeting space, right? Yeah, yeah. 
And she's like, okay, well, welcome to your first AA meeting. Wow. And when I was 20, I got pulled over. Mm-hmm. And when I was in college playing ball and they gave me an underage consumption, the okay. slap on the wrist, a fine and five classes, meetings mm-hmm. that I had to go to. So that planted the seed for me back then. You know, I was like, my drinking's a little bit different. Okay, not everybody blacks out. I might be genetically disposed. You know, so I learned about it at that time, even though I wasn't ready to stop. So here I am as, as an adult 20 years later, showing up to this meeting and I'm still full of shame and guilt. Right. I'm like, what are we doing? Right. Um, I just had a terrible week and people were hugging her. Everybody greeted her. They're hugging me. They're saying, we're welcome. We're so happy you're here. This was like about a hundred people. Okay. Wow. So that's the, that's a, that was the size of the, of the speaker meeting on this particular Sunday night. And I sat down and listened to this speaker Mm -hmm. and I was just, you know, they say, don't, you know, you'll, you'll eventually hear your story. I heard my story on the first night. That's awesome. And I was like, if he can do it, you know, having some celebrity behind him and releasing the shame and guilt, so can I, hmm. you know? And then, so I just asked her on the way home, how do I get a sponsor? How do I start? I need help. And it, I stayed really close to the rooms for the first year, socially canceled everything. Mm-hmm found women's meetings, took my daughter to um, women's meetings with childcare, you know, so that's, those were my home groups. And it was like every day, first I went 90 days, 90 meetings in 90 days, like she told me to, I basically just did whatever she told me to. I was so desperate and like, I cannot handle this pain inside of my head anymore. I just can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. I, I was stuck in the jail, you know, between my ears. Wow. Wow. I don't want to read into this too much, but you know, one thing that that strikes a chord with with me and my story when you were just mentioning speaking to this woman, it sounds really similar to the guy that ended up becoming my first sponsor. And uh, the the way that I met him was I wasn't looking for a drink. I I was like, I'll just ask him if he knows where to get any weed. And he said no. He was super cool about it, but there was something that kind of attracted me to this guy. And I think that, you know, that, that whole deal in 12 step programs about, um, you know, focusing on attraction rather than promotion is, is really important. Um, I want to ask like, what was it in this guy's story that you kind of picked up on? Do you think where you said like, wow, that's me? Well, he was an athlete um, that publicly, you know, came out with his alcoholism and stuff like that. And I'm just like, okay, so there are people out there that are recovering out loud, Mm. you know, so I I can release, I don't have to hold the shame, but I stuck with the anonymity for the first couple of years, like, like you're supposed to right? but I still felt like I was like living a double agent Mm. life, you know, and I think that athletic mindset um, works well with alcohol you know, because you can either have that and be very productive. And then, you know, when it shifts on to drinking with my next drink, that's all you can think about, then it shifts into that. But then the others on the turn side, you know, you have that, I know that I'm wired differently, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I just, I just know I'm wired differently. And I've accepted that. And then it's all about becoming sober. And, you know, the people around me are like, well, this, you're still away from the house, you're still 
not with us, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I was taking my daughter with me all the time, but I still wasn't able to participate like a normal person, you know, if you will, because I didn't have socially, I wasn't confident enough to go out into those situations. I didn't have, it took me about two years before I could go out, you know, into a charity event or whatever and be like, no, thank you. Oh, I'm over there, you know, and then realize that people really don't care once they have their drink. And now I'll go anywhere. And like, that's when my light shines the brightest is when in those situations. And then somebody might notice that I don't drink. And then they're the ones that call me in a month or two or three and say, how'd you do it? You yeah. know? So I don't shy away from any situations now. And I'm able to walk anywhere and, you know, in my spiritual fitness is what I call it. And I talk about that in the book, like first comes physical sobriety, then comes emotional sobriety. Mm -hmm. And then comes the spiritual fitness is when you're able to go anywhere in any situation and flex your spiritual muscles of peaceful warrior, yeah. you know, yeah, you can go anywhere and you come out with your character intact and still the same and hopefully shine some light on some dark on dark spots, right? You, you just, mm -hmm. we have to go out. And so oh, what I was going to say is relapse is part of my story. After mm -hmm. the first couple of years, I, I would get my one year chip and then I would think that I was healed again. Mm -hmm. And I would think about drinking and I would start to romanticize it again. And it would take about a week or two before I was in the hospital or on my knees or surrendering, you know, and then ashamed to go back into the meetings and as soon as you get there like they open you with welcome arms they say we don't shoot our wounded yeah. and then you know they start sharing with you all these stories of relapse and how it's part of your journey and mm -hmm. so for me writing this book and recovering out loud really released it all the way off you know what i mean and that yeah. making a blanket amends um so that's why i that's why i wrote the book you know was to just share my story and share my experience, strength, and hope. And, you know, so you're sober. So what now? What What are you going to do with that gift today? And how do you yeah. rewire your brain? How do you, you know, change what fires together, wires together? You know, how do you do that neuroplasty thing? And I do believe that the way that our brains are wired can, you know, you can make a, a lot of good. And you've been given this gift of sobriety. So now what are you going to do with it? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love that. I mean, I think that you know, for when I was new coming into this deal, and of course, early on, it's like, okay, I just need to like, stop putting this stuff into my body. But then after that, it's like, all right, well, for me, I guess I just started to see like, if I don't build a life that's good enough to stick around in this deal, I'm not really going to be motivated, you know, to, to stay sober, because otherwise, why? you know, for me, why get sober if, if sober life isn't going to be any better, right. you know? Um, right. And I think, uh, I think after a period of time, like I kind of started to see like, again, getting sober is not easy. It's, it's super important, but at a certain point for me, it was like, this is kind of the bare minimum in my life. Like I, I, I feel like I need to be pushing it a little bit more here. So yeah, your, your book quitting to win. Um, now is this just kind of like a memoir or how would you describe this? Uh, part self-help part memoir. And it's, you know, it take, I, I share my experience, strength and hope through it. And then I also share, you know, how I apply it and close the gap between dreaming and doing like after you start to get your legs back, you know, how do you, 
what do you do with that? So, mm, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now I do want to ask, because I really like hearing this from uh, guests that we have on the show. What do you feel like the biggest thing that you struggled with early on in sobriety was? Identity, mm. probably identity. And then, um, yeah, like I said, recovering out loud, like when I was just sticking to the rooms and to my people and I would see people out, I called it, we called it like a spotting in the wild. You know, you'd see somebody at school or at the gym or a grocery yeah, like store that. and you're kind of giving them like a, yeah. oh, and then your family's like, well, how do you know them? Yeah, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you give them like a down low. Yeah. And I think what I struggled with was that I thought I really cared what people thought or, you know, and it really, they really don't care. It doesn't matter. Like I stopped wearing what people thought about me. And yes, I'm wired like this. Yes, it's part of my past. You know, yes, my past, you know, in the promises will start to benefit others as I share it. And, you know, basically turning my pain into my purpose instead of just carrying that pain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get the identity thing for sure. I mean, I was just at a loss as to to who I was or what I was supposed to be doing. And and I think, you know, you mentioned relapse. Like, I think for a while, uh, there was this kind of identity that was saying like, hey, uh, you know, you're not going to stay sober. You're not going to have a happy life. Um, you know, and, and thankfully the, the steps and everything else I was working on helped a lot with that. It's interesting. You bring up anonymity. This is a, a conversation I've had a lot lately. We get a lot of comments on, uh, on social media, on the podcast about anonymity. I, I'd really like to get your thoughts. I mean, clearly you're, you're recovering out loud for me, like the way, like just from a 12 step perspective, like the way I understand this is. Um, you know, back in the day, uh, if you came out as an alcoholic or a drug addict, and there's still some some stigma there, don't get me wrong, right? Like, you could be fired, you would basically be like shunned in society to a degree. Um, and, and again, I think there's still a tiny bit of that. But um, now the way I see it is anonymity. And this is kind of the way it was broken down to me. It's not so much about like, not telling someone that I'm in in recovery. Um, it's more about like, when I go into a meeting, or I'm in the room, so to speak, everyone's kind of on the same level, right? It doesn't matter if like, the president comes into a meeting, and then some super rich guy comes into a meeting, and then a homeless guy, can, it's like, everyone's on the same level here, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from. Like, what are your thoughts on anonymity these days? I mean, I, I know where you are. But is everyone just kind of, can they just make their own decision with that? Or what do you think? Well, I, I like what you said about the rooms. What goes on in the room stays in the rooms, right? It's not my business to tell anybody else's story. Sure. I respect yeah. that to the fullest, you know, if Absolutely. I, that is, and, you know, I always reassure people when I see them in the rooms, like, Hey, I got you, you know, it's not my story to tell, you know, so don't worry, mm -hmm. you know, we're in this together, call me anytime. And I won't ever mention that I saw you here at, until you're ready, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, to, to out yourself at your own time. I would never out anybody. Um, but for me, I, yeah, so keep everything in the room, stays in the room. But for me, recovering out loud is, is just really important because it's part of who I am. And, I, and you can't be ashamed of, and 
you can't be ashamed of any part of yourself, right? God made me perfect just the way I am, even, you know, imperfect. And it's, it's progress, not perfection. And I agree with what you're saying with the knowledge of alcoholism and the disease that it is no longer like you're going to lose your job over it. They're supposed to send you to a meeting to get you help or dismiss you for a day. You know, if you need to go to a meeting every day at 12 o'clock, your employer has to, you know, let you go to that meeting. Hmm. You know, it, it is looked at a lot differently. You know, of course, there are the, you know, some doctors and lawyers and licenses that are at risk if you carry that label. So then, you know, that's a special right. group of people. Um, but for me, it's just, it, it has worked out really well. I found a few people that are recovering out loud. And that's when I really started to blossom hmm. in my work and life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, before I was still playing small mm-hmm. and it was, you know, meeting recovery is the new black or um, Brandon Mascara boy or Tony, you know, re- reading all these other books of people and just creating that community of out loudness where, and, you know, I'm part of this foundation called the sold out youth foundation. I'm on the board. It's a uh, Roman Gabriel started it and we go into high schools and get kids, um, mostly junior high, but we get kids to commit to abstinence for drugs and alcohol. And I just love that part of the program because it's prevention, mm-hmm. right? So I've been dealing so many years with my friends, my addict friends after they're already in it, right? And we're right. in recovery. But I really think that the message here is coming in and working with the youth of today and creating that, what you know, what's called the sold out foundation. Like it's, cool to sell out and be part of this sober group and why don't you be part of this sober group before you get addicted right because this is a progressive disease and i believe that the opposite of addiction is connection so when you're feeling connected to your higher power and to your community and friends and family like that will keep you less addicted you know addicted is for me it's isolation it's it's not connected right yeah Yeah. Yeah. And you're kind of, that's a good segue here into something I would ask you about, you know, you've talked a little bit about uh, finding your tribe. And and I think you just touched on like why that, that is so important in part, you know, you, you get connected with like-minded people, you know, that are moving in the same direction in life. And I think that's, that's great, right? Like having a team, essentially. One thing I want to ask you is, is like, I think a lot of people struggle with that. Like, how do you go about that? <laughs> how, how, how do you have any tips for that? Like, how does someone that is, that is new to this deal, because look, like we, we are like lone wolves a lot of the time when we come right. to this thing. Right. Yeah. So, so how do I go about finding some other people to connect with? How do I find my tribe? Well, I think how I started was through social media and through Instagram with hashtags. So like the recovery hashtag, or we do recover or progress, not perfection. I started using those hashtags and then you find people that are going by those same daily mantras. So for me, that's how I found my tribe um, was through social media. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Yes. So it worked for me in, in that very positive. And then I was able to identify and, you know, get rid of the other influences that didn't serve me. Right. If it makes you feel a certain kind of way, it's like, okay, it's time to clean up. Right. So I totally cleaned up and like switched over 
to just being from like the mommy wine culture, social, you know, socialite um, charity events into healthy, you know, but not just healthy of looking healthy, but spiritually healthy. So, you know, spiritual health and um, spiritual fitness became my hashtags and, and recovery and re recover out loud. So that's how I found it. And you just start connecting with people. I started connecting with people and seeing what they posted. And that's how I found my people. And then, you know, just like us, we get online and and it's like we're old souls together, you know, like we just have so much in common and, and no matter what, we can do this together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, I've, I was just going to say, you know, I've, I think I've heard that a lot here on the show and I, I talk to a lot of people that are using, you know, unfortunately like social media, there's just so much negative that can come along with it. Right. But it, it's a tool that can be used for good and, and it's used to connect with other people. Um, and I, I think that's a great point, like being able to connect with people, um, you know, in terms of your recovery through social media, like that's an awesome um, that's something that's awesome to consider. And I think that's, uh, that's great that you were able to do that. Now you've also mentioned that there are five things that you do for your daily mental health. So can mm. you share those with us? Yeah. And they, these five things I do daily for my mental health, no matter what, and it has to come first. Cause if, if I don't have that, I don't have my day. Right. Then mm. I'm just still miserable, <laughs> but, um, water, Water's the most important, right? You want to make sure that you're not subbing out and putting, you know, Red Bull or coffee or something yeah. like water is so important because if you are not hydrated, you will have the aches and pains. You still won't feel good. And, uh, you know, like over 50% of people are walking around dehydrated. Like mm -hmm. hydration is so key. And, I'm, and you can reverse like the aging and, and all the damage that you did from addiction so if true. you just keep the water going and, you know, keep yourself hydrated. So it's, it's water. You should sleep. see my, my obnoxious, uh, gallon jug I have over here on my okay. desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it is so important that we yeah. need water no matter what. Number two is sleep. I protect my sleep and have a great sleep hygiene. Um, you know, make sure the phone's off, make sure the house, you know, shuts down the house. Like no matter what I have to sleep, <laughs> And I protect my sleep. You know, I will, I will leave places early. I will not schedule appointments until a certain time. You know what I mean? Like I sure. used to run wild of sure. I'll be there early or I'll mm -hmm. stay late. Mm -hmm. And that like, to me, sleep, sleep is so important. And because I had like Ethan all running through my veins, vodka for so long that your body never really gets into that REM sleep. Yeah. Right? right. And so you're depleting, even though you're sleeping, you're still like in a state of depletion. So how do you get into that building, building blocks again to where you, you can get into that REM sleep and, and nourish your body? So water, sleep, and then nutrition. God made food. Simple. If it comes in a package, there's a better choice. You know, just eat real food. Like, why would I want to put bad stuff in my body? I, it just wouldn't. It doesn't nourish yourself. And then once again, you want to um, eat instead of feed. Like you want to. Make sure that you're eating, you know, enzyme-rich foods that will build up your your body instead of break it down. Okay. Um, so foods number three. So it's pretty basic: water, sleep, food, movement is so important for me. I have low blood pressure, um, but if I don't walk every day at minimum, or do a push-up, or do a down dog, you know, do a stretch out. I have a little seven-minute stretch in my book that I that I offer. Um, 
but I, I'm post back surgery. Okay. I'm just from living a high impact life. And I mm-hmm. believe that osteoporosis pulls on the calcium in the bones, which weakened my bones. And I was like, never in that state, right? My muscles were holding me up, but not my bones. Mm. <laughs> Cause I was depleted all the time. Okay. Um, so movement is so important. I like yoga, you know, because I keep my feet on the ground and it gets my heart rate going. So like I do a seven minute stretch every day. I sit on the edge of my bed and just do my stretch before I even go, you know, cause I got to get my heart going, drink sure. the water, blood flowing. So, and then connection, connect with your higher power and others. So I do everything in that order. It's water, sleep, eat, movement and connection. Wow. I really like super basic five things that you can just do and you don't need any tools to do it. It doesn't really take a lot of thought. It really, for me, takes all of the indecision out of my head because the average person will make like 2000 food choices a day. Mm -hmm. Should I have this? Should I have that? I shouldn't have this. I shouldn't have that. You know, when you automate some of these things Mm -hmm. so you can, you know, perform at a, at a high level, you know, that morning, those five things, I wake up, I drink water. Before my feet hit the ground, I start to move and stretch. And then um, I, you know, look for my higher power, do my prayers, you know, and then I leave my room and I'm ready for the day. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I think you you said it pretty well, like what you do at the beginning of the day is going to dictate, you know, how the day goes. And I think that also has a, you know, it's something that I guess just for, you know, life in general, but also, you know, in terms of uh, recovery, it's something that I wish I had started earlier on and, and that I had learned about earlier on is just having like a really good uh, morning routine. And, and I won't get into it too much because we've talked about it on the show before, but I, I'm really big into that, you know, because and it's maybe it's a little uh, crazy of me, but I feel like, you know, there are situations where, um, you know, I have to like jump right into something. And it's like, if I don't do that stuff, uh, you know, I feel like my day is, is a little off. Like I always have to circle back around, you know, and, and get that stuff done. So I'm, you know, 99.9% of the time I'm going through a, a pretty similar routine to you. So I really love that. Um, I, I do want to ask, you know, just about the, the movement side of things, like where do you think fitness should fit into and, and movement should fit into someone's sobriety? Like, how does that support someone's sobriety, do you think? Yeah, so I think I have a couple different thoughts on this. Like, you want to make sure that you don't switch one addiction for the other, right? And you want to make sure that you don't just start wanting to train for a marathon. And then after that marathon's over, you know, you you feel that high of, of the training, then you mm-hmm. have that event, and you don't want to feel let down after that or mm-hmm. go on a bench or something like that. You know what I mean? So for me... I had events my whole life leading up to a game, a tournament, a stage of, you know, something. Mm -hmm. And fitness for me now is about just being able to get up and move and keep up, right? It's like performance doesn't matter. The outcome Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. What matters is can I go to the park and enjoy myself? Can I, you know, walk up and go for a little hike with my friends? Or can I do anything that I want to do? So that's what fitness looks like for me. But I think it's it's normal for people to switch that and it, it looks like the next healthy thing, but still we have the disease of more, you know, if one is good, more is better. And you have to be careful not to transfer that. Like I, 
one, one of my first summers, I was in California in Balboa, and I was just hanging out on the paddleboard by myself in the water. But what's different than that than me sitting at the bar drinking? You know what I mean? I was yeah. still in a form of isolation okay. that looked like fitness, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I wasn't able to participate, you know, with my friends and family. I was like, oh, I'm leaving. I'm checking out, you know, even though I was on the water. And so thank God I have some great meetings everywhere I go. And, you know, I'm able to talk through that and they say, well, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still in that escape of where you can't, you know, function and, and enjoy yourself in those little things. So for, yeah, I think movement, I like to call it movement now more than fitness, you know, and um, I was always competing in something or I was either on or off a diet. You know, yeah. I was either on or off this program. Mm-hmm. And once um, that went away for me and I switched over to just God made foods, you know, that just all that food noise went away for me. And after getting sober, I had a lot of food noise. Because I was like, I can't be fat and sober. That's going to be miserable, right? Mm-hmm. So how do I get rid of that food noise? And, you know, I, like three o'clock in the afternoon, I'd, I'd walk in circles around my kitchen, like, okay, I can eat. And everybody was like, um, okay, well, you're going to crave sugar, you know, because your body's had sugar for so much. So, you know, just give yourself some grace, have a candy bar, have some cake. And I was just like, eh, I don't, you know, I couldn't do it. And yeah. I just, um, you know, some, my, my body, my weight fluctuated until it stabilized, you know, and I got a hold on that. Um, but yeah, it's just God made God made food takes all the indecision and decision out of food eating if you just eat real food. It's so much just it's so easy and I hope I can pass it on to, you know, all the girls that I coach and my daughter's age kids of, you know, how not to get an eating disorder and you know, how to put real stuff in your body and you know, it's just an apple a day keeps the doctor away, you know, yeah. dark chocolate and almonds for happy hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Dark, dark chocolate <laughs> works pretty well. Yeah. You know, you mentioned some, some, you know, a few things that I really like there and are, are making me think number one, I love how you just call it movement. Um, you know, as I'm not like I'm super old, I'm only 34, but you know, as I've gotten older, I've come to see like walking is one of the most underrated things. You know, I'm a coach too. And and someone that's, you know, getting, you know, just getting into a routine, they're like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm like, I want you to go for a walk today. And they're like, well, how's that gonna, you know, th- there's just this like, you know, kind of argument that ensues that um, it's not enough. And it's like, no, you're out moving, you weren't moving yesterday, you know, let's move today, you know, basic stuff. So I really like that. And you make it you make an interesting point about the um, maybe the escapism through fitness. And I was thinking back to early on in sobriety when I first started working out and getting into the gym. And I guess for me, it really does get into the like being honest with yourself or to thine own self be true, because there were times where I noticed like, hey, by myself in the gym, it was kind of a meditative thing, you know, and it was, it was a way for me to connect spiritually. And I was taking care of my body and there's all this good stuff there. But then there would be times where it's, you know, seven o'clock on a Friday, I should probably be spending it with, you know, family or friends. And I'm at the gym for like the second time that day. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and it's like, man, it's just uh, probably a, a little too much to the other side. So I, I get that for sure. And I love what you're saying about the the food as well. That makes perfect sense to me. And um, yeah, I mean, we've got to take got to take care of our bodies. And I think that also, like, we're getting another chance at life, you know, so why not like, extend that a little bit and, and, you know, so that we feel good and um, live longer for sure. So I, I want to ask, I think you've, you've given us a good idea here, but if you could just tell us a little bit about what your recovery looks like today. Um, and if maybe that's changed at all, just with, with COVID going on and everything. <clears throat> yeah. So I, yeah. My, what does my recovery look like today? Well, this week was six years um, that I surrendered for the first time. That's awesome. And I can't, I count six years because I believe like if you're running the New York marathon and you fall down, they don't make you go back to start mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to, to start the race over again. Right. You're not that same person. You did already come a mile or, you know, you came 14 miles. So, um, I joined the program six years ago on March 22nd and, you know, with a few relapses in there, but what my recovery looks like today is those five things. I'm, you know, I'm able to give back to my community. I'm a great parent. I'm a great friend. And, you know, I can participate. I show up, I answer my phone, my phone's on, you know, it goes into do not disturb from 7 a.m. to 7, uh, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. to protect my, too. I, yeah. to, pro <laughs> to protect my sleep and my morning routine. Yeah, but yeah. then, you know, during those hours or, you know, you can, you can reach me and I, and I get back. And so it looks like a great life for me every day I get up and participate. You know, I'm not hiding in bed on Netflix. I'm not staying in bed, being depressed. I'm not shutting off my phone during the day, you know, not being able to get a hold of it. So that's what it used to look like. And now it looks like I want to have a big day. I'm going to have a big day today. Who wants to have a small day? Yeah. Wow. That's you awesome. Know? That's awesome. And, and the, the identity uh, issues that you mentioned early on, I mean, it sounds like that's changed a lot. I just love when someone can say confidently, you know, I'm there for others. I'm a good parent. Uh, you know, that's, that's all awesome stuff. And, and clearly your sobriety has, uh, you know, played a, a big part in that. So before we wrap up, Crystal, I want to ask if there's maybe one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the Sober Nation, whether it's for someone that's new to recovery, someone that's been around a while and, and having a tough time, if there's anything you'd like to share with them. No, I would just say, you know, find your tribe, reach out to people, connect. I try to call at least three girlfriends a day and say, how are you? you know, and the, to just get out of my head, right? If I get in my head, something starts spinning in my head for longer than 10 minutes, I'm just conditioned to pick up the phone mm -hmm. and go through my, my top three. And somebody always answers the phone and they're able to, you know, talk you out of it. So um, it's not that I don't get restless, irritable and discontent and get the rids. I still do, but I just have that halt. You know, I go, I, there's power in the pause and like, am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? in the halt. And generally it's one of those four things. So I can just rectify it quickly, drink some water, take a nap, get some good food, connect with a friend, take my shoes off, put my feet in the grass, you know, and just reset. So I can, I'm still wired the same way, but I don't have any residual damage, right? Cause I can catch myself. So if you're still feeling like that, just know sometimes it may not ever go away, but now you have the tools and, you know, you have all this stuff in your bank account by all these meetings and people that you built up that you're able to, to catch yourself without, 
you know, going down the slope. Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, the halt thing is something that I thought early on was a little cheesy, but the longer I've been around, <laughs> the, the more it's true, you know, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, a little, uh, little hungry right now, probably need something to eat. So that's really solid advice. I, I love that. So you can learn more about Crystal and find her book, Quitting to Win at crystalwaltman.com. Thanks again for coming on the show, Crystal. Thanks, Jonathan. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. 